Stampede. Garner is in number 51. Recorded June 13th, 2020. Some people say blood is thicker than water, but I don't think that's always the case. There's been a lot of blood shed in this country, and maybe that's an exaggeration, because America isn't the only country or place on earth where blood has flown freely. No, when you get right down to it, our species is a wild bunch. And compared to other living things, we're more methodical in committing murder and mayhem. Killing's nothing new in the animal kingdom, but it's never like what we do. I have a friend who refuses to watch documentaries like The Blue Planet 
or One Planet, Seven Worlds, narrated by David Attenborough. She objects seeing animals killing each other, but when it comes to watching a bloody mystery where people are bludgeoned to death with an axe or strangled with a piano wire, she can't stop eating her bag of popcorn. Oh, there's nothing more entertaining for her than to watch someone's brains splattered all over a wall from the blast of a close-range 12-gauge shotgun. But show a fox raiding the nest of an arctic tern, and she nearly becomes hysterical. Now, for me, I think I know how the world turns, and I admit I'm much more attuned when Attenborough describes nature at work. Using his gentle words, Attenborough reassures that life keeps going. Nobody ever said living was going to be easy. And I'd bet if I interviewed several listeners of Garner Isn't Shows, most of them would say nothing comes easily. And I'm not just talking about being able to get out of bed in the morning or even walking down to make a cup of coffee or tea in the morning, because for a lot of people, that's a nearly impossible task. But like I said, most people would agree blood is thicker than water. But I know that wasn't always the case for one of America's most famous playwrights, Eugene O'Neill. Nowadays, many people don't appreciate O'Neill's literary accomplishments because they're busy watching a Disney sitcom on TV. O'Neill will always be known for his writing, but there have been questions about his personal life. Both of his sons committed suicide while O'Neill was still alive. Both were heroin addicts, and he disowned his own daughter at the age of 18. Ona O'Neill fell in love with Charlie Chaplin, the famous English comic actor who rose to prominence in the age of silent movies. And he was 54 when he married Ona. There must have been a strong attraction for each because they had six children. But 
O'Neill disowned his own daughter when she was 18, after she fell in love with Chaplin. In fact, he never spoke to his daughter ever again. I don't moralize. I tried to avoid talking about why intense personal relationships end the way they do, but the bond between a father and a daughter usually has special meaning, especially when a father gives her away at her wedding. No, O'Neill didn't do that for his daughter, so blood may not be thicker than water. But as a species, we like to think we love our offspring, even though old men make wars and young men are used to fight them. Well, I will say this, we've got a lot of water in us. And scientifically, we've got a lot more water in our bodies than blood. And to speak openly about this, I've got to say, in the consumerist world, and with the advent of artificial intelligence, the bond of a parent to a child has been seriously weakened. You can duck, you can dodge, but you can't come home no more. You can duck, you can dodge, but you can't come home no more. So the key you got don't fit that lock no more. Stay last night. Well, tell me, babe, would you stay last night? You didn't come home, the sun was shining bright. You can boogie, baby, boogie from your heart. 
a boogie and I like boogie in the dark. Consumerism's priorities don't necessarily strengthen the bonds of human relationships. No, manipulating people to consume can have some ugly consequences. The need to get more can make you do things you might not do otherwise. Eugene O'Neill's refusal to ever talk to his daughter when she married Charlie Chaplin had little to do with the forces of consumerism. No, O'Neill lived in a different time, and I don't know why he would never talk to his daughter again. But I do know recently, when the looting broke out in the killing of a man in Minneapolis, after he passed a counterfeit $20 bill, consumerism had a hand in it. You see, we've never been free to want because that's what consuming is all about. You've been tricked into believing you need a $200 pair of gym shoes, and it's not important how you get it. No, what Eugene O'Neill suffered from in denying his daughter was a deeply personal decision, and it had nothing to do with a profit. And I can't presume to know what his thinking was. But I do know what the reasons are for looting to get what you want. Some can say it's deprivation, that there's real poverty in America. But in this country, nothing compares to the way people live in other parts of the world. Here, there's real disparity between what some have, and that leads to envy, distrust, and violence. In the third world, if you're born into poverty, it's your fate, and it's what you must learn to live with. Here in this country, you're told everybody has a chance to become a millionaire. That's the promise of consumerism. It keeps telling you how wonderful it is to be rich. So for an individual, when the reality of that is denied, Reasons for breaking and entering come to mind. When the promise of consumerism becomes a false promise, the rules of law are seriously questioned. In the consumerist world in our society, the rules are constantly being bent. And 
it's not meant for individuals who stick up a gas station or rob a bank. No, the rules are bent by the people at the top, the Wall Street guys who manipulate stock prices or for banks to smooth over bankruptcies committed by frauds. The little guy who is caught sticking up a liquor store gets five, maybe ten years. The bank peddling worthless junk bonds, stealing millions from investors, may simply pay a fine. I don't have to enumerate all the frauds committed during consumerism. I think you probably understand a lot of what's been going on. Usually, at the top, it comes from people in power, people who believe they're immune from punishment. Now, I can highlight a not-too-distant case with an ex-senator who became a governor of New Jersey, John Corzine. Corzine came from humble surroundings, raised on a farm in Illinois. He pulled himself up by being educated in business, earning a master's degree from the University of Chicago, picking up experience working at various banks and bond departments and finally hired at Goldman Sachs as a bond trader. When Corzine finally left Goldman Sachs, he was flush with $400 million. And with cash in hand, he ran for the U.S. Senate seat in New Jersey. He spent $62 million in his campaign, and it was the most expensive Senate campaign in U.S. history. In 2005, he ran for governor of New Jersey, stepping down from his senatorial seat, spending nearly another $40 million, and successfully winning. He won with 54% of the vote, but lost re-election in 2009, and quickly moved on to become CEO and chairman of MF Global, a multinational futures company, a futures broker, and bond dealer. As such, he entered into a strong position in the trading of foreign currencies. I don't know what they have to say. It makes no difference anyway. Whatever it is, I'm against it. No matter what it is or who commenced it, I'm against it. Your proposition may be good, but let's have one thing understood. Whatever it is, I'm against it. And even when you've changed it or condensed it, I'm against it. I'm opposed to it. On general principles, I'm opposed to it. Before my son was born, I used to yell from night till morn, whatever it is, I'm against it. And I've kept yelling since I first commenced it. I'm against it. Knowing that as I do, I'd not advise you to displease him or tease him. No, no. Don't double cross him or toss him around when dear old dad
Lunch gets mad, he's a hound. My son is right, I'm quick to fight, I'm from a fighting clan. When I'm abused or badly used, I always get my man. No matter if he's in Peru, Paducah, or Japan, I go ahead alive or dead, I always get my man. I soon dispose of all of those who put me on the pan. Like Shakespeare said to Nathan Hale, I always get my man. What that financial position was, I don't know, except to say MF Global stood on the brink of collapse because of it. And this is what happened. Over $1.2 billion from separate and segregated accounts of clients were used to cover the failing trading in future foreign currency contracts, trading that Corzine had taken on behalf of MF Global. What was done was illegal and resulted in the 10th largest bankruptcy in U.S. history. Eventually, 100% of client accounts were reconstituted. But Corzine was never sent to prison for what had taken place. And this is what I'm getting at. MF Global and an ex-senator and governor from New Jersey would never suffer the consequences that occur with those at the bottom. And you know what? Punishment has become an important part of the consumerist world. Of course, you should ask who is being punished. Unfortunately, I think the idea of punishing has become a way of life in this country. It's not what you make someone correct what they may have done incorrectly. You need to punish them, to make them see the errors of their ways. Let's be clear, I don't believe people that commit murder should be unpunished. Is capital punishment a deterrent to committing murder? Probably not. But people should be held accountable for the crimes they commit. What we've got here in America is a serious issue with wanting to punish people. Americans are being punished in so many ways, they've taken up a culture of punishment. 
and love it. In a consumerist world, punishment can be used to enrich a whole class of people. When you want to punish people, you need a lot of workers in order to do that, and their livelihood is based on it. We like to call it law and order, but walk into any traffic court and you can see what I'm talking about. Make it a blue. The pretext for issuing a traffic ticket is to make drivers drive more safely, but it's also a revenue stream for people who work in law enforcement. All those $200 tickets keep employing the people who run the system. So when you make an incorrect left turn, you're going to be punished for that. And the people who enforce that have a need to punish you because they make money from it. A warning for a traffic violation would work as a reminder to drive more carefully. But that isn't what's happening. Don't get me wrong. Police are needed to assist when accidents occur. They're needed in lots of ways. But in the consumerist world, profits and punishing go hand in hand. It's not just the people in power. It's a cultural thing. Punishing someone is a way of life in this country. You're taught to get used to wearing those chains because there are some people you just can't reach. You're the slaves to consumerism, and you're to be punished. Make it a blue.
This week on Garner Isn't, you first heard the music from Max Steiner's composition from the 1948 movie, The Treasure of Sierra Madre, and then another cut from the same movie. Then you heard Hogman Maxie's Duncan and Dodging from the album Prison Blues. Then again, a cut from The Treasure of Sierra Madre, followed by Groucho Marx's I'm Against It from the movie Horse Feathers. And finally, Harpo Marx's performance, Swing, Swing, Golly. Stampede, written and performed by Edward Garner in Morro Bay and Paso Robles, California.